0: The Irish Times Inside Business Podcast, in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. Irish Reed is the biggest private landlord in the state, with some 4,000 units rented out. It's operating at a time of record high rents in the Irish market and with near full occupancy. So on the outside looking in, the company is flourishing. However, the political backdrop on housing has resulted in a tightening of regulations for the sector, and rising interest rates have made it more difficult to fund new projects. All of this has impacted on the share price of IRES and left some shareholders unhappy. In recent weeks, Vision Capital, which owns 5% of the business, has called for the company to be put up for sale. It argues that the share price of IRS does not fully reflect the value of its assets. Others have since joined suit, and opposition is building ahead of next week's AGM to the reappointment of a number of key directors, including the chairman and chief executive. So what does the future hold for Iris REIT? What exactly is Vision Capital's plan for the company? Given the difficult economic backdrop, will there be a buyer for Iris REIT? And what's the future for institutional investors in this market if the biggest player has run into difficulties? Joining me to discuss these and other issues are Joe Brennan of the Irish Times and Colum Lowder, Head of Real Estate Investment Banking at Good Buddy Stockbrokers. I began by asking Joe to outline the backdrop to the row that has emerged between Irish Street and its shareholder Vision Capital.
1: Yeah, so um, on the 12th of April, we saw a an investor in uh, IRES uh, Vision Capital. It's a Toronto-based investor. They had been an investor from the time of the IPO back in 2014. They came out and it was clear that they had been silently or kind of quietly pushing behind the scenes, pushing IRES to go about putting itself up for sale, given that the stock had been trading at a deep discount to the, the value of its assets, about a 40% discount to the value of its assets. It had been quietly doing it and it's, it's it seemed that it was kind of uh, annoyed by the fact that it wasn't getting uh, much of an, a hearing from, from IRS itself, and it decided to go public on the 12th of April and say that it was going to vote against uh, for the, the re-election of four uh, non-executive directors, including the uh, chairman of the board, uh, Declan Moylan, and looking to vote on another series of resolutions coming up at the company's AGM annual general meeting on the fourth of May next week. It's since come out. Uh, there was a reaction from the company IRES itself a number of days afterwards, saying that now is not the suggesting that now is not the correct time to be selling, uh, going about selling the company. Just given the way that stocks like this are trading on on the market, and a, a big reason for that is the uh, increase we've seen in interest rates in the last uh, year or so, which has kind of depressed further depressed uh, valuations across the sector. And indeed, uh, IRS itself has uh, last year had uh, written down the value of its own property investments by about 45.6 million to 1.48 billion last year. And that was largely a result of the impact of rising interest rates and the impact that has on on, uh, yields for property companies. The company itself, when it was uh, pushing back last week, it said it was putting about 100 million euros of uh, worth of assets on the market. It's basically under pressure to do so because its borrowing levels um, are, are relatively high. So there's a cap. On REITs, a real estate investment trust, there's a 50% cap. So Irish REITs can only have loans worth up to 50% of the overall value of assets. That's under Irish REIT law, which was brought in in 2013. And it's also a 50% cap on the company's own lending covenants with, with its banks. Because interest rates have been rising, because valuations have been falling, the loan to value ratio has been rising, so it's over forty three percent as the end of last year. I think it's forty three point eight percent under one of the the, the metrics, the European uh, Public Real Estate Association metric, an EPRA metric. So that was that's relatively high. So it's been under pressure to sell uh, properties. Barclays, uh, an investment bank, early in early February, has suggested that the company may need to sell about fifty million euros worth of assets. It's now come out and said that it's looking to sell a hundred million euros worth of assets. That has attracted the ire of vision again because it would say that there's no point in going about selling uh, what they would call uh, crown jewel assets. And I'll come to those in a moment. Crown jewel assets at a time when the company hasn't articulated a clear kind of strategic vision for, for, for the overall group. The assets that are up for sale are the, the marker residences. This was a portfolio of 85 uh, high end apartments in the Dublin South Docklands that it acquired back in 2014, 2015 for about uh, 50 million euros. It's on the market for a price with a price tag of about 70 million euros. And a, a lot of people, including Vision, would see that as being a core asset as opposed to a non core asset. Another asset that was sold recently, or an agreement was reached recently to sell, was a plot of land in uh, Sandyford in South Dublin, which the company had earmarked to build over 400 uh, apartments. It's now sold that to the uh, Galway Comer Brothers for about 20 million uh, euros. Again, that was seen as part of the growth story, but it's clearly uh, decided to sell those those assets at the moment. It's hard to know what Vision Capital ultimately, uh, what their ultimate game here is. Is it just to to, to agitate and see uh, an increase in the share price and maybe get out itself? Or will it stay stay the course and continue to press the the, the company to try and put itself up for sale uh, at some stage? I suppose the timing is a bit odd, given that uh, property prices, uh, certainly commercial real estate prices are, are under pressure. So it's, it's an odd time to be selling the company anyway itself.
0: Colin Lauder, you're head of real estate investment banking at stockbroker Goodbody. Uh, What's your view on this? And maybe just to begin with, maybe you could explain how an investor that holds a 5% stake in a company can cause this kind of disruption um, for the board of the company when, uh, you know, it was kind of, it it was tipping along okay uh, before that. Granted, they've been, as Joe mentioned, they've been on board since 2014,
2: so they're not a blow in investor. But nonetheless, they, they do just hold 5%. Yeah, absolutely. But like any shareholder, they're looking to maximise their own investment return um, from their position in IRES, and you know they have a right to do so and to try to find a better way of, of 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 draining out that value of the business. And I think the challenge for them is that they've observed this business over the last six seven years. They've looked at how its returns profile has changed and how it's trying to generate their shareholders be it five percent or twenty percent a healthy return. You had a combination of income and capital. Now, if you look at what's happened subsequently. Over the last six to nine months is that income return component, which is something that's within their control, mostly dividends, as we all know, um, has diminished. And uh, the reason that's diminished is true to increased costs and things like financing and debt. A lot of that outside their control, some of that within IRES's control. But also then the other reason you buy into a company like this is for capital growth or NAV growth in the business, which is looking at obviously share price appreciation. And we all know the market has turned. You know, yields are starting to move out because the base rate increase is therefore the ability to generate capital growth is considerably diminished. So therefore, as a shareholder, you have to think, well, are there other ways to execute on strategy here? Are there other ways to deliver a better return for your investment? And again, in some cases, that may be disposing of assets in a managed manner into the marketplace and looking for pockets of liquidity. It may be, again, keeping an eye on what happened in the wider Irish REIT space with Green REIT, Hibernia, and New Grove. You're looking at something more significant in terms of a sale uh, as a way to maximize values. now. Obviously the, the contrast behind that is that the market's in a very difficult position now and a different position than it was when Hibernia Green were transacted. You know, we do not have the same depth of private equity buyers in the marketplace simply because they cannot ap- access capital or debt as cheaply as they could have. So pricing will obviously have to take into account for that. So you know, certainly when we look at the comments from IRES arguing that perhaps this might not be the best time to execute such a transaction, there is merit in that. We look broadly at the marketplace, though we are starting to see private equity creeping back in. You know, the first notable transaction in the UK concluded yesterday, which is Blackstone bought a business around the similar size to Ires called Industrials REIT, logistics and industrial estates um, scattered across England for a pretty healthy price. So it does show that private equity is creeping back in as one way to deliver an attractive return to investors and shareholders.
0: People listening into this column will wonder why IRS is in this position at the moment because we know it's the biggest private landlord in the state. It's got 4,000 plus units. Uh, rents are at an all-time high here at the moment. And there's also a, a scarcity of uh, supply in the market. We, we know of all the anecdotal stories of people really struggling to find a rental unit, particularly uh, in Dublin. So what are the specific issues uh, facing Ires and um, that have managed to get them into this position and also Ires came into the market at a time when the Irish economy was was at a very low ebb um, you know, Post the 2008 crash. And presumably, they bought a lot of their sites and a lot of their apartments at a very good price.
2: No, absolutely. And if you look at the, sort of the, the direction values have moved in you know, since IRS IPO'd, you know, values are up on a yield basis alone, probably 45 to 50%. So there has been considerable price appreciation for assets in the market. But we also have to be cognizant of the fact that the multifamily space or the PRS sector, more generally in Ireland, is still in its, in its infancy. You know, this is a sector that didn't really exist until we had to find ways of deleveraging bank balance sheets and trading these assets, which in the main were built for owner-occupiers, but obviously they couldn't trade during that period. So it's a sector that's still very new. It's a sector that's finding its feet. You know, the UK market's probably only four or five years ahead of Ireland in that case. So, you know, the whole industry is trying to understand how best to manage these on a long-term basis. So there's still a considerable learning curve. When we look at, you know, IRA specifically, and we look at how the Irish markets perform, you know, certainly you're right, you know, operationally, it's been very hard to put a foot wrong in a market where there's no supply. You know, your vacancy will be close to zero consistently. You have tenants who are happy. Uh, they're in a position whereby they're staying much longer in professional landlords versus private mom-and-pop style landlords. And that's something which is always very interesting is that when you look at the evolution of the professional, uh, professionally managed residential sector, Your tenants are voting with their feet. They're staying longer because you have, again, increased services, better amenities, etc. And the fact is actually, if you look at the data on rents, the rents are also actually lower than the market. So there's been a narrative presented that, you know, landowners like this are charging premium rents. In reality, it's actually the opposite. IRES, in the main is around 18 to 20% lower than the private rented market in their locations. Yet offering you new know, supreme services, and if you think about how that's expressed in the numbers, you look at ten-year periods. You know the average Irish IRES tenant stays about three and a half years in situ. The average sort of mom and pop style traditional buy let stay is just shy of two years. And um, so people are staying longer. So operationally, you know it's been a quite an easy market to navigate because you know rents are paid on time. There's very little delinquency. You know IRES has a very strong and healthy tenant base. There's no. Uh, non-payment issues, which you might see in the sort of the less professional side of the industry. So, operationally, it's done well. Rents are collected and paid on time, and the market's been in a fundamentally healthy position. However, obviously, as rates begin to change, you know, that dynamic evolves in a different manner. Um, so, we've seen, obviously, the cost of funding has increased, and that has to have an impact on property yields. Again, element of that is outside of IRAs' control in terms of where valuations move, but there are elements within their control which is looking at how they fix debt and how they manage their balance sheet to react to those movements in the market. And that's obviously been one of the criticisms we've seen from the activist shareholders that perhaps your IRES positioning on fixing debt was a little bit late. And we've seen peers in the UK who are in similarly structured vehicles with quite high levels of debt also, but they fix their debt at a much earlier period in this rate height cycle.
0: Colin, there has been a suggestion that IRES is selling the crown jewels by selling these market apartments that Joe mentioned earlier and also the site in Sandyford that could potentially have uh, 400 apartments.
2: What's your view? Look, if you take the Rockbrook site um which we understand was sold for about 15 million um that was obviously a key growth contributor for IRES um, and it was positioned as such you know, if you look at the site specifics, you know, a lot of the groundwork was done, car parking was done. So, there was already a lot of money in the ground by the previous developers. This was an attractive development opportunity. And you know, even with changing yields um, and because, obviously, base rate hikes, this would still have been a profitable scheme. However, given that the broader market has fallen in values, and obviously, IRIS's portfolio fell as a consequence of that, the capacity for them to develop themselves was quite limited. Uh, this would have required, you know, very considerable levels of capex and the capacity on the IRS balance sheet at this moment in time was not there to do so. So look, there's there's logic in moving that. It is disappointing in terms of the potential returns that could have been achieved from that, but also playing a role in terms of addressing the, the supply shortage in the Irish market. And, but again, simply the financing was not there. It was not viable within the IRA's balance sheet. The marker residence transaction is an interesting one. Um, you know, certainly obviously it could be argued as one of the, the primer assets in the, the Dublin market, um, again, high-end units, it's not just, to put it it, it's not just the apartments, obviously there's a car park associated with that, which is the one under the theatre, under the hotel, and there's some sundry office suites, so it is a mix of other things as well. Um, but we also have to be thinking, that this you know, IRES is looking where it can find liquidity, you know, it's looking where it can find transactions that can be executed quickly, so it can bring cash in and pay down some debt. And the likelihood is it is those assets in locations such as the Grand Canal Dock which will find a buyer quicker than some of the more secondary locations.
0: At EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com. Joe, you outlined the criticisms that Vision has made of the stewardship of IRS REIT of late. I'm wondering what the shareholder advisory firms are saying to investors. So companies like uh, Institutional Shareholder Services, Glass Lewis, they have a very influential role these days in how people vote at AGMs. What are they saying?
1: ISS, uh, Institutional Shareholder Services, probably the bigger of the two, it kind of did a bit more work in terms of the criticisms uh, that have been made by, by Vision. and uh, Basically, it was looking at, it looked at the, the returns, uh, the total shareholder returns uh, over the last number of years uh, by IREs versus, I think, about 19 other uh, REITs or property companies across Europe. And uh, the, the overall returns in Ireland were, were better prior to maybe Vision uh, coming out with its initial uh, statement and leading to a share price increase. I think it was Talking about about 20% negative total shareholder return over the space of three years versus, I think, about 46% negative return for the wider European, European sector. So, ISS um, basically said, look, they took issue with it. They saw no evidence that the company was being poorly managed or the, the the company were failing or the board was failing to steward capital properly. But it did question potentially whether the REIT structure is something that actually had a long term future. But it said maybe not for today, but certainly it's something that may need to be looked at as part of this. Interestingly, in the last 24 hours, so yesterday, we saw uh, CapReit, which is the Canadian company that set up IRES back in 2014, and uh, was the basically the investment manager for for most of its time up until uh, early last year. It has come out and is basically uh, working now with, or certainly has agreed to vote in tandem with IRES. In voting against a, a number of the directors, and also uh, uh, Vision yesterday actually had widened its net beyond the four non-executive directors. It's now going to vote against the re-election of the chief executive Margaret Sweetney as well, and presumably Caprate is going to do, do going to do similar. So you're talking, you know, a mass now of. Almost 24% of of shareholders and two of the larger shareholders in that, being part of that, uh, Vision says that it has uh, overwhelming kind of response from from other shareholders as well. So it remains to be seen how many of those will vote in line with them. But certainly for investors that are looking at both the ISS and the the Glass-Lewis, they're the proxy advisory companies asking uh, or recommending that shareholders vote in favour of the the board uh, and the chief executive and other uh, resolutions. You have that on one side, but you also see some of the major shareholders now coming out against. So it's probably a a tougher or more challenging kind of decision for a lot of uh, shareholders to make ahead of the uh, less straightforward uh, than they ordinarily would be uh, ahead of the AGM next week.
2: And if you look, as well, thinking about that sort of international composition, I think, well, how has IRES fared? You know, certainly. When we look at the sector, particularly in Germany, which is the largest professional residential investment sector, those vehicles have also struggled over this time period. There are supply constraints across Europe at the moment. It's a fairly common theme, um, but all all these sort of broader types of businesses have been pricing in quite considerable discounts as the market reacts to those rate hikes. It's also interesting when you look at it versus, say, the broader property investment universe is that the residential sector tends to be higher geared than, say, offices or retail or industrial. Therefore, as rates move out, it's more susceptible to issues around how it manages its balance sheet. Now, if we go back to sort of the IRES investment returns, the IRS still pays out, despite the fact it was cut by 20% or so, still pays out a pretty competitive and attractive dividend. You know, it still pays out on its current share price a dividend yield of maybe sort of four and a half to five percent, which is marginally ahead of the sort of the European average. Um, the challenge, though, at the moment is looking at the other component of its return. Is that capital appreciation story? How do you get the share price ticking up because of the underlying value creation within the business? And you know, with the disposal of assets like Rockbrook, obviously that limits that ability. And um, but also when we look at the broader market, you know the expectation is that capital values are continuing to fall in, in the Dublin market. Therefore, the results that Iris will present at the end of June and um, at the end of the year will probably be softer on the capital value side again than they published a few weeks ago. So again, looking at the components of the investment rationale, the income story is still there; it's still competitive. Um, and what IRES is seeing and facing is not unique. Uh, there are similarities across Europe. But again, within what was within their control, was managing a couple of factors, particularly around fixing debt early. And you know, fixing debt early, um, like several periods in the UK did, did would likely have sort of locked in lower financing costs, which would have probably protected the dividend somewhat better. Um, over the period,
0: column. In your view, what are the chances of a majority of shareholders voting against the re-election of the chairman, Declan Moylan, the chief executive Margaret Sweeney, and the other directors that uh, Vision has come out and
2: urged people to um, to vote against? Look, it would be foolish of me to, to speculate. Um, you know, we know what's been declared publicly. Um, and in addition to rate. obviously, there were two smaller shareholders, sort of half percent and two percent who came out yesterday, also saying they would support Visions proposals. Um, so, look, it's, it's, it's too early to speculate on it. Um, you know, and certainly, you know, even if there isn't a majority, the fact that you know, your largest shareholder and you know, another of your largest our top 10 shareholders is airing their concerns you know, means that a response in some way to these concerns is merited from a strategic perspective.
0: So how will that shape up? Maybe some
2: changes to the board or, or
0: a different strategy going forward?
2: You know, I think we have to examine uh, the structure of the business in terms of you know, how we drive future growth. You know, do we look at perhaps taking on more opportunity and selling some mature assets and looking at development opportunities? How do we find ways to grow the dividend? You know, how do we find ways to try to create additional value within the portfolio in terms of efficiencies through asset management, et cetera? Um, but again, when you're in a market which is so constrained by rent controls, you, you've got less levers you
1: can pull than perhaps in more open markets like the UK or the US. I suppose another kind of constraining factor is uh, under legislation, Irish REITs must pay out 85% of their profits in, in dividends to shareholders. So that kind of limits their ability, companies' REITs' ability to to build up a, a store of cash, and it requires them to rely more on debt to be able to 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 increase uh, to 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 grow and add assets. So that's a, another issue facing REITs in Ireland. Uh, also, just in the in the background, you have. Um, there have been some tweaks to REIT legislation in, 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 in recent years by, by, by recent governments and we also have the, uh, the government uh, come out uh, recently it's, it's looking at funds in general but it's also looking at the tax structure and other elements of the Irish uh, REIT sector so that would make investors looking in at the market, and particularly overseas investors who would see the Irish property market as being a noisy market, uh, that would kind of maybe unsettle investors more. Also, when you see Sinn Féin, which is riding high in the uh, in the opinion polls, I mean, it's it's made clear there's no fan of the REIT structure in terms of the taxation uh, of REITs, even though taxes basically, they're essentially kind of... Uh, companies that don't build up uh, taxable profits, but because they distribute 85% of the profits, that falls on uh, individual investors who get the dividend. Um, but they are talking about increasing, uh, most recently in Sinn Féin's most recent alternative budget uh, issue at the time of the budget last year, they were talking about increasing the uh, withholding uh, tax on dividends to 33% versus the current rate of of, of 25%. So that, again... It's probably contributing to the general kind of the the depressed kind of value or depressed share price of IRES REIT as well. Yeah, look, and that's correct. And if we look at,
2: you know, how the, the REIT structure was envisaged in Ireland when it was first proposed in 2012 through the sort of the REITs forum, you know, the sector hasn't flourished in the way we would have hoped it to flourish. And again, that was down to how it was structured from its very earliest days. And, you know, if you look at the objectives of REITs as we came out of the sort of the, the NAMA period and the, the, obviously the deleveraging the Irish market, it was to increase transparency. It was to sort of change the ownership structure, so whereby instead of having a, a buy-to-let flat in your apartment, you would have shares in a REIT. That increases transparency, liquidity, and therefore should remove risk in the broader marketplace. But because of the way the Irish REIT structures in particular were were, were introduced, uh, there were limits placed at a quite an early stage. Uh, and then, obviously, post the green re-transaction again, the tax structures either change further. Now, the distribution of profits is a perfectly normal thing. Um, the UK is 90%, for example, so it's not unusual. Uh, and the objective behind that is that you, these are should be long-term investment vehicles and not speculative development-style vehicles. So that's all correct and merited. I think the issues have been more down to the fact that the limitations in terms of trading assets and reacting to market cycles and timing has become much more onerous in the market. So if we look particularly at the commercial sector, and again, stepping away from PRS, but look more broadly at commercial, the continued hikes on commercial property stamp duty meant that your costs when you buy an asset rolled up are almost 10%. So on day one, when you buy the Dublin office building, you're down 10%. So that meant that the growth story for these vehicles was limited. In addition to that, when the changes came around capital gains and the tax liability of assets that you're selling outside the REIT structure, you would have been taxed at the full rate. So um, that became, again, a challenge point, particularly given that shareholders in these REITs, the underlying investors, are obviously taxed if they're an individual at the full rate of income tax. Um, so you ended up bringing in almost a layer of double taxation the changes unless the REITs held these assets for a certain longer period of time. And then we also have to be sort of thinking more broadly at the sector. You know, when the Irish REIT legislation was proposed, there was an ambition to sort of create the Dublin market almost as a hub. For reits from a European basis, similar to how the industry for aircraft leasing has has made Dublin a hub, Um, but again, certain changes and tweaks within the legislation, particularly with the commentary and the focus that the majority of assets must be domiciled in Ireland, meant there were some limitations built in at an early stage. And you know, it's fairly obvious when we observe the market when we've lost you know three out of four of them um, that the sector hasn't flourished in the way it should have, and you know that has negative consequences for the broader market because. You know, Joe, you quoted some of the data that came out from EPRA, you know, the European Public Real Estate Association. You know, these vehicles are highly transparent. You know, we know every single asset value pretty much. We know what rents they achieve. We know how they perform. So that injects great transparency into the overall market, which helps it operate more efficiently. And if we look at, you know, all of those sort of core German investment funds, French insurance funds, et cetera, who have entered the Irish market over the last five or six years and helped the Irish market position more as a core play more than more than a fringe or periphery play that 's because of the level of transparency we 've had you know, we 've been able to understand and pinpoint performance in a very healthy and detailed manner, and that 's because the REITs are publishing their accounts they 're publishing their performance information. If we lose that transparency, the market becomes more opaque, and that means the market that, that opaqueness needs to be priced in so overall there, there'll be no winners in terms of losing that transparency in the marketplace
0: Joe if vision manages to Succeed with its motions at the AGM and Margaret Sweeney and Declan Moylan effectively are voted out. Do they have a plan B to replace them?
1: Not that we're aware of. What they were looking for is more kind of what they would call investor aligned, uh, shareholder aligned uh, directors that would be looking to uh, try and maximum uh, maximise uh, value for, for shareholders. Not that uh, the board itself doesn't see that as part of its job, but they they would be looking for that kind of uh, director to, to come on board, but they haven't articulated who or what they want to come on board. Yeah, I think the expectation is that they would look to call an EGM
2: uh, to review their proposals. And again, bearing in mind, if they do vote out you know, certain executive directors, you know, those people are still running the business. They are still the day-to-day management of the business. So it doesn't change that perspective. It's just that they would not be on the board. Um, but you know, if it does succeed, the expectation would be is that they would call an EGM. And as you said, they would look to align uh, the board more with, with their views on how, on the composition.
0: Colin, would it not be fair to say that Margaret Sweeney has voted off the board, that's, that's a vote of no confidence in her and uh, she wouldn't really have much um, tenure left as chief
2: executive? Look, we don't know which way the votes are going. We know, obviously, certain declarations have been made. Those declarations are still in a minority. No, we don't. But I'm I'm
0: hypothesising here and just putting to you that if she's voted off the board, if a majority of the shareholders decide to vote her off the board, I mean that would be a, a vote of no confidence in her. And you know, how could she remain on as uh, chief executive?
2: Look, we'll have to wait and see how the votes go, Karen. Um, it's a, you know we still don't have full clarity in terms of the way people are looking. And uh, there are shareholders out there which are supportive of the business Margaret is running uh, and the structure of the business. We know the challenges she faces in running it are not unique you know there 's plenty of other vehicles out there across Europe who are in similar positions because of rising rates the limitations that put, that has put on their expansion and growth plans because they can 't access debt or they can 't grow to the same way. Obviously, the Irish market has its own constraints, which have limited the strategy management have tried to achieve in terms of rent controls, in terms of, you know, construction costs, development finance, et cetera. So, you know, there have been considerable challenges that have been outside the control of management. Um, and in, in many ways, a lot of that is understood by shareholders um, and those challenges that are not being unique. So, look, we, we don't know the numbers yet. And there are certain declarations out there. And this is very much a sort of a wait and see approach.
0: Joe, what do you see as the as the end game in, in all of this? Um, Vision, presumably, even if it doesn't succeed next week, it's not it's not going to go away with its complaints. So where
1: where does it go from here for iRes? Where, where does it go for Vision? Um, we don't know what their ultimate aim is. Is it to uh, to remain a, an activist until it gets its way and uh, it gets a critical mass of other uh, shareholders and calls an EGM and gets certain resolutions over, over the line to put the company up for sale? Or is it just looking for uh, an increase in the share price in the expectation that something may happen? And does it get out at that stage? Or does uh, CapReed itself get out at that stage? So it's hard, it's hard to to, to know exactly what their own exit strategy is uh, or when they would see themselves as, as 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 potentially exiting? Do they wait until they get what they want or do they try and benefit from an increase in the share price? And we've already seen the share price, I think it was at a low there earlier this month of 93 cents on the euro, which was below the IPO, IPO price of, of, of one euro. It's kind of tracked back up to about one euro at this stage. So we've seen a bit of a pop in the share price. If we see more agitation and a moving in a certain direction, could we see more of an increase in the share price? Could they try and use that as an opportunity to get out? Or do they really want to see this one through? It's hard to know.
2: Look, they're they're in the business of maximizing their returns. And, you know, there is also an element of exercises like this that they're highlighting that the value sits behind the business. So if we look at, you know, the share price has struggled over the last six, nine months. It's been at a 40 to 50% discount to its underlying asset value. And, you know, activism like this will highlight the fact, well, hang on, you know, there's assets here which are performing operationally very well. There's very solid income streams. There's no vacancy. and uh, There's a very strong tenant base. There's good modern buildings. And again, the point of IRAs, when you look at the average age of their buildings, I think it's about 14 years. The average age of some of the German institutional investors um, you know, in, in the Berlin and Frankfurt Munich markets is about 50 years. So again, modern assets, it's, you know, it's probably one of the most modern PRS portfolios in Europe. Um, and investors through this level of activism may begin to realize that and that'll obviously help the share price. Um, we also have to think, obviously, you know, values are still soft in the market, uh, and that evidence feeding through from transactions like the marker is showing that you know, values are still soft in the marketplace, but they're nowhere near as soft as in, uh, as um, implied by the discounted book value.
0: column if Ires were to be put up for sale, would there be appetite out there in the market, do you think, to buy it as a job lot? Would the, would the money be available? Are the buyers available to buy it as a job lot, or would it have to be broken up?
2: Well that's been the challenge in the market for the last, you know, six, nine months is that as rates began to move up, access to cheap debt for the private equity buyers or those types of buyers who would look at this sort of transaction has been very limited. Um, you know, and it's only in the last couple of weeks we've seen, you know, these types of buyers come back into the UK market. As I said earlier on, you know, Blackstone bought industrials REIT at a pretty keen price. Um that's because there's more clarity and stability on, on, on debt levels and debt pricing. So you know, we've had certainly a period over the last six months where those types of deals have been more difficult, because you know we've had rising debt costs. We didn't have really stability or clarity on how to price these. There is an element of stability re-emerging. Um, there is certainly a growth in interest levels from private equity buyers more broadly in this sort of public to private story across the European property markets. Um, but it is still a depressed market. You know, it's not as buoyant in terms of the depth and level of demand as when the likes of Green Reed or Hibernia Reet traded over the last couple of years.
0: Colin I just wonder if maybe in five or ten years' time we might look at this as a kind of a key inflection point in the exit of big institutional investors from the private Irish rental market. You know, given the economic backdrop uh, that has been mentioned already uh, in our discussion, but also the fact that Sinn Féin riding high in the polls, it could well be in power next time um and will probably tighten the screw if you like in terms of um institutional investors and their role in in the rental market. So could this could this sort of mark an important juncture
2: for institutional investors here? It's also just worth being aware that the the screw is already pretty tight in this market from a regulatory perspective. You know we have quite stringent rent controls at two percent, of which the professional investors all abide by. Um, we have a market which has, obviously, from a vehicle and a structure perspective, quite tight rules. You know, the 50% loan-to-value is considerably tighter than most peer markets. Um, so the restrictions from a regulatory perspective are broadly there. But we also have to be very cognizant of the fact that, you know, we need units built in this market. We need high-quality modern units. We have a very, very significant shortage of apartment supply, as all the commentators will note, and we need ways to fund that. And, you know, as we've seen, your know, policy is that to leave institutional capital support these uh, and to build these out. But the problem now is if you look at the broader market, because of the restrictions on things like rent controls, on vehicle structures, on debt levels, your viability is strained. Um, And institutional capital is aware of that. So, you know, Ireland is only a very small part of the global investment universe. And, you know, we've put enough sort of roadblocks in the way already of these investors, and that their attention may wane further, so it is a challenge. Um, but again, I go back to the point in terms of sort of you know tenant feedback and sort of the, the services provided. You know tenants, as I said, have voted with their feet. Average rents for institution investors are lower than the private buy to let market. Servicing and quality of assets is better. Units are more modern, and tenants are staying longer in those locations. And um, so there is quite clearly a, a voting with your feet approach uh, to the market. Um, but you know, certainly this capital is necessary in terms of how we address our supply shortages. And we do have issues with viability now which are further eroding that. Joe, just
0: finally, if Iris REIT does end up being sold at the end of this process, it'll be another blow to the
1: Irish stock market, wouldn't it? It'll be another stock exiting the market. Yeah, well, certainly it'll um, probably be the end of the reit structure. Anyway, uh, I don't think we will see any more reits coming into the market. That'll that'll dr- probably draw a line underneath that. There were a few other reits that were kind of being lined up for 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 um, for IPOs back in 2018, 2019, which never uh, took place. Um, but just looking at the wider market, yes, yeah, look, what we see CRH uh, is uh, it's holding its its annual general meeting tomorrow it's pushing through the uh, it's looking to uh, it'll be holding an egm again uh, next month looking to get shareholder approval sorry in in July, june looking for shareholder approval to move its main listing from the uk to uh, uk to 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 the us to new york and as part of that is looking to drop its its its, its irish listing we have flutter uh, the, the gaming company behind uh, Paddy Power, it's also looking to move uh, to, to secure a listing in the U.S. Uh, it's probably going to go down the route of CRH. Uh, it has its main listing in, in London. Uh, it's probably going to look at maybe t- dropping its its Irish listing and secure a its primary listing in the U.S. Because in order to be included in the main uh, stock market indices, which is really the goal here, uh, such as the the S and P 500, uh, it has to have its main listing in in, in New York um so certainly look at we're we're seeing a, a number of the bigger companies uh, leaving the market we've seen very few ipos in the last 5 years i think four ipos in the last 5 years nothing in the last 18 months or so um and uh, we're seeing very little uh, coming in behind that, where if you compare the Irish market to, say, the, uh, the, the Norwegian market, when there was a, a, a spike in IPOs, when there was plenty of liquidity in the market in 2021, I think Norway had over 60 IPOs and we had one. Um, and they're both owned by Euronext, uh, the, the, the pan-European stock market operator. So certainly there is an issue. Uh, whatever about companies, larger companies, maybe moving, uh, moving abroad uh, elsewhere, it's the lack of other companies that are coming in, ambitious companies looking to grow and, and, and take on extra capital and use the, uh, the Dublin Stock Exchange as, as a route to do that. That's concerning. Colin, what's your view on the future of the
2: Dublin stock market? Look, I'll, I'll, I'll focus on the REITs point in terms of, you know, we could have had a sector that would have flourished and been a significant component of the market. But again, you regulatory pressures that fed through either on the structure or particularly on things like stamp duty and things that have limited that growth potential. Uh, and the market could have been a quite a considerable hub for, for, for REITs in the property world. Uh, and that would have been in a very interesting dynamic for the marketplace. Um, but again, you know, we're seeing similar trends in the London market. we're seeing delistings, we're seeing positions in moving elsewhere, particularly in the tech sector from the the London market. So, you know, it's not unique. And one of the things I sort of look back on is if I look at sort of the listed property space uh, between the sort of the UK and Ireland, we're about a quarter smaller than we were four years ago in terms of the the amount of vehicles. So there's been a lot of this trend of vehicles being taken private. Um, And again, I go back to the point that the level of transparency we gained through the IPOs of Green and and others, and the data they provided to the investment market gave the underlying market great confidence. It gave more understanding of how to price these assets, how they should perform, and that enticed a much broader broader pool of capital into the market and helped the market function more effectively. If we step away from that and we lose that layer of transparency we have in the Irish investment market, you know, it doesn't help any of the market participants, unfortunately.
0: Okay, Joe Brennan and Colin Lowther, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Joe Brennan and Colin Louder for joining me on the show. John Casey produced this episode with JJ Vernon on sound. Thanks also to our sponsor EY for its continued support. Remember, as a subscriber to the Irish Times, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.